Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is July 24th, 2016. This is episode 173. And yes, it is a Sunday. Weird. Feels weird. Yeah, it feels a little off, but um, well, the rest of the episode is going to be off too, so we'll make up for it. I'm Scott Magnus. I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my bake in the sun buddy, Jake English. Careful. Yeah. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Check us out on other sites such as baltimoresportsreport.com, baseballtalkradio.com, and third-party platforms such as Google Play Music and iTunes. And please, please rate us there if you get a chance. Check us out on social medias at Facebook, Google+, Periscope, Instagram, Snapchat, blah, 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 blah. But really, Twitter, at birdseyeviewbal. You're probably following us already, but that's where we really generally post our greatest content in the form of um, animated images, basically. And that's pretty much all we're good at. Um, Most important time, drink of the week. Jake, what are you doing? Well, after, as you mentioned, baking in the sun all weekend and drinking cheap light beer, um, I've graduated tonight to a gin and tonic. I'm going to start out with the shot tower. We'll probably settle into the new Amsterdam after that. Okay. And you? Uh, Jake, I'm going um, a little bit more simple, I guess. Than, well, it's about the same simpleness, I guess. G&T to, a, to going to a margarita with a with a Cabo uh, tequila, uh, silver, um, and then uh, just made up some my own simple syrup and then doused it with a little triple sec. And so far, it, it's doing the job that it needs to do. So um, d- didn't do the beers this week. So untapped is really not appropriate. But uh, if you want to see what kind of terrible beers Jake is drinking on a weekly basis – such as Michelob Lights and Heineken's and First all that one, kind of stuff. Michelob Ultra. Oh, you, I'm sorry. You jerk. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a Michelob Ultra. My, my <laughs> apologies I, to uh, ruin your reputation and in your name. So, um, uh, it, it, anything else? So, Jake E4025 for your untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. With that, you want to go ahead and dive into the medical wing? Go ahead. Scott, we've got a problem. All right. The medical wing is full. Is it we completely are, full? We are unable to take any more patients. The so, medical wing is tapped out. So the surprise for this episode is we're actually just going to do the entire medical wing for the rest of the episode. That's it. We're just done. That's oh. it. That's no. it. Just tune out now. It's so depressing from here on out. I and I, I really don't do that because uh, it's a really bad idea. I feel worse for the first set of, of uh, patients, and that is Oriole fans. Ooh. Orioles fans are in the medical wing this week because there were a lot of them that were super butthurt after four straight losses. Ooh. Yeah. And that salve, I mean, it's tough to apply. It is difficult to apply back there. Gold Bond, though, highly recommended. 
highly recommended. But a lot of other injuries this week. Um, Matt Wieters being day to day and day to day and day to day and day to day. Now that's a foot. Did is that from when he got hit by the pitch? Yes. Or did he, he foul something off? Well, when he got hit by the pitch is is what people are and people have come back and assume. So that was one. Uh, Joey Rickard in his thumb injury by running into the wall at uh, Yankee Stadium, once again proving that nothing good comes from New York. Um, so he's actually going to be out till September. At least. At least. Um, potentially for the rest of the season. But but he, he has fulfilled his Rule 5 status. So if he is out for the rest of the year, he can start in the minors next year. Correct. Um, Hunsu Kim is on the DL, but he's supposed to be coming back on Tuesday. So we'll see if... Um, He's back to his good old self and shows that great plate discipline. Hopefully that is uh, the case. Adam Jones had back spasms this week, which um, that we was need, nervous and yeah. nerve-wracking. We need to keep an eye on that, too, because that's not just something that goes away. Ask J.J. Hardy. Or Jake English. <laughs> uh, and let's see. Uh, oh, great news on this regard. Hunter Harvey uh, is going to go in and do Tommy John surgery. So uh, he's done for this season and next season. Ugh. Yay, young prospects. Um, and then, of course, I, I guess the big news was um, everyone who had a digestive tract issue this week with the stomach flu. Um, Davis, the, Manny, Buck. Yeah. yeah. The rumor is that Mark Trumbo got in San Diego and brought it back with him, um, and everyone got contaminated. And I, I like some of my Bucks, where he's like, I wouldn't wish this kind of cold on my worst enemy. So, Joe Girardi, you're safe. Don't worry about it. He got it from whining about a tarp. That must have been it. <laughs> All right. Anything else going on in the medical wing? I, I think that's it for now. Darren O'Day came back. Yay. That's at least one person off the medical wing. And hey, he was useful on Sunday. Yes, he was. But Orioles fans, look over your shoulders. All right. It is a serious contagion out there. All right. 140 characters or less. This, this week, week on the, on the Twitters. Twitters. All right. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take the first one? All right, the first one comes from Matt Perez, who writes for Canon Chat. And oh, let me try that again. All right, our first one comes from Matt Perez, who writes at Camden Depot, and he can be found on Twitter at fan of laundry. He tweets, per usual, O's have more viewers in Baltimore than Nats have in DC, and a 7.7 rating compared to a 2.7. And this has a link to the Forbes a Forbes article that backs that up. Yeah. Um great, great fan base down in DC. Awesome. Jake, we were talking about Orioles fans pretty much losing their mind during uh, the New York series. And here's how you subtly tell a fan base to chill the F out during a losing streak. This comes from Rock Cabaco at Mass and Rock. One, two, three, second inning for Giovanni Gardo, who's relaxed now that the game is over. Hashtag Orioles. Hmm. I yeah. see what you do there. Yeah. I see what you did there. I see what you did. Apparently, apparently Rock was tired of hearing it. Next one comes from Camden Depot, tweets at Camden Depot. Orioles are currently a half game back of first and three and a half games up on the final wild card slot. Look, they're even, even they're in even better shape now. But when this kind of thing happens, say it again. Say it again. Say it again. I just want to hear it. You know, we've been talking the entire season about starting pitching, and it's a good thing we don't need a guy like, oh, this comes from at Josh Roca, co-host and member of the Section 336 podcast. I believe he actually just changed. Did he change his thing from Josh Roca to from Section 336? Or was that Matt Roca? I don't know. Josh Roca, 
Hey, how's it going out there? We know you're listening. So he posted an article to Beyond the Box Score um, that says the Red Sox may have fixed Miguel Gonzalez. And uh, the article is completely about what Josh had references, the cutter strikes again. And uh, Miguel Gonzalez is going to throwing a cutter for the White Sox and is using the cutter at 20% um, of his pitch usage at this time. So, Jake, you buy into the cutter using magical pitch and the Orioles are completely blind to it? Uh, Well... If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and enough former Orioles use the cutter and have life in a new place, it's kind of hard to think that that isn't at least a factor, right? I think it's actually funny, too, that Chris Tillman actually has gone to using the cutter at a more prolific rate this year. I think it's doubled as the last time Mm -hmm. I checked it compared to 2015. And hey, lo and behold... um, He's got some pretty decent numbers going along with it, too. It's almost like it's an effective pitch. The thing that's infuriating is that they thought that Miguel Gonzalez was done, or at least that they thought he was done enough that they didn't want to have to pay him his full salary, and they cut him for $4 million, right? Yeah. Without anything else in the minors. That just makes me furious. But I'm going to cheer up. I'm going to cheer up, all right? I'm going to look at the next one. Okay. So where do I go for a little cheery outlook on life when it comes to the Baltimore? i I'm going to go over to MassInSports.com. <gasps> this tweet comes from at Orioles, and it says, over the last nine games, and this uh, this did come out on the 22nd of July, over the last nine games, the hashtag Orioles rotation ERA is 3.61 with a an article to follow. <whistles> you should always look on the bright side of life. Because life's a piece of shit when you look at it. <laughs> All right, um... A lot of topics to talk about this week, kind of an up and down uh, situation with the Yankee series being a rock bottom. And then this weekend, uh, the Orioles doing great against the Cleveland Indians. Why don't we go ahead and go around the bases and uh, try to make some sense of this for, for Orioles fans? All right, Scotty, let's do it. Let's go around the bases. And first, I want to take a look at first base. The offense went collectively cold during that spell. It was four straight games, three against New York Yankees in New York. I want to know how much concern this is. I mean, is this offense as susceptible to the type of power outage that we saw uh, as the same one that plagued the 2015 Orioles and eventually pushed them out of contention? My answer is no, but what do you think? Well, I mean, you can't know until it happens or doesn't happen, right? But I would agree with you. I I don't think this is an an offense built the same way. First of all, they're not relying on guys like Jimmy Paredes to carry the offense, right? I mean, let's just look at how this Orioles lineup is constructed. It's relying on its secondary players like Jonathan Scope and an occasional bit of, of, uh, you know, output from a Pedro Alvarez all of these guys have much better track records than the than the guys we were thrown out there in 2015. And again, I just think things like this happen. Yeah, things like this happen all the time. You know, we constantly come back and look at the Orioles offense and you know, they're a top 5 offense when you look at it from a run scored per game standpoint. And sequencing like this is going to happen and why why I say sequencing is teams have a tendency to go up and down, up and down. And a lot of fans will Quickly point out, it's like, well, a team like the Royals don't have that happen to them. They're not so much feast or famine because they play the small ball. 
Well, that's an interesting theory that, you know, teams that are a little bit more consistent in terms of run scored have, you know, better track records. And if they get into the postseason, for example, they're going to do better in the postseason because, again, that volatility is not there, so they can't go cold. But in all honesty, that's kind of um, it's kind of a silly thought process. Um, there's actually been studies done about run volatility and taking a look at to see how run volatility does in terms of winning teams. And actually, what was found was with a higher degree of run volatility, there actually is a much better chance for the teams to win. So the lower your run volatility is, the less chance you have to be a winning team as well. So it's actually a negative correlation. So you actually want to be a volatile thing. It's, it's interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive, but it also makes sense. By having that volatility, you are a team that can put up a massive number and you can overcome a lot of odds if your bullpen blows up on you or your starting pitchers don't go deep into the game. It's that kind of volatility and that ability to come back that really makes it um, an interesting scenario and puts you in position to always win a game. And we talked about this season with the Baltimore Orioles. You never really feel like they're out of it because you always feel like they're only this next inning they could easily score five or six runs. Some other teams, you don't see that. But on a good team such as the Baltimore Warriors right now, they have enough of volatility to score those runs. Now, sometimes they're not, and it's really frustrating. But on the whole, for the entire season, um, I think that they've shown that they have the ability to hit a lot of runs. And we've found that the lows are not as long as the highs. You know, last year in 2015, as I mentioned, the Orioles lost two consecutive um, six game losing streaks, right. uh, with separated by a game. And that was basically their season. They were done after that. But the thing is, the Orioles have won three sets of seven game winning streaks. And they've had a five game losing streak and here a four game losing streak. But the thing is, is that in between those things, they're then going in winning series. And they're doing that by not disappearing offensively for too terribly long. So these things will happen. And it will, as you just said, be incredibly frustrating. But, it's not the end of the world. The sky is not falling. Right. And the other thing, too, is we were looking at those June numbers, and those June numbers were amazing in terms of offense. I think we were at a 120-plus weighted runs created plus as a team, which was outlandish for this team. Um, this team is a really good offense, but they're not that good of an offense. And in terms of runs scored per game, we're anywhere between um, five and a half to up to eight runs per game on average over a 10-game rolling split. That's... That's outstanding, but there's no chance that a team like that is going to be that way all through the season. So it's going to go with ups and downs and coming off the all-star break. And certainly for most of July, it's definitely been at the lower end, but the Orioles will rebound and come back up to their average. Maybe they're not going to be a five or six one right off off the bat, but eventually they're going to get into playing some bad teams, potentially the Colorado Rockies. They still have a series coming up against the Oakland Athletics. Um, and they're going to put up a lot of runs on teams like that, and they're going to get back on track. Um, in fact, I personally like it more. They're a little kind of lopsided in this regard, having a poor offensive showing and still managing to basically put out a 500 average um, over the week, um, actually an above 500 average over the week. And the other thing is that in these funks that they get themselves in, I would much rather them uh, lose a series against New York and then come and sweep the Indians. Right. Because it shows that they can beat the right. good teams, right? I mean, if you're getting swept by the good teams and then you're beating up on the crappy teams, well, oh, yeah, you're supposed to beat the crappy teams, and that's all good and fine. But I like to see that they can also hang with the tough ones. Yeah. My thinking comes back to I 
don't really mind losing against New York. While it's frustrating, it's just like, well, that just happens sometimes. But I'd rather be on the upswing against a team like the Toronto Blue Jays, who we're going to be facing next weekend. And that'll be a huge series. I mean, we keep talking about the Red Sox, but the Blue Jays are right there. And you could e- they could easily swoop in and take this division from either the Red Sox or the Orioles at and, this time. And I feel like the Rogers Center has been an absolute house of horrors for the Orioles sure. for the last two years. Sure. So, again... Good time for the Orioles to have a rebound and a regression back to their mean um, in, in the Rogers Center and really get back on track. Um, and, you know, these things happen in any long baseball season. Again, 162 games. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough. Yeah, I love I love the Motown. Yeah, let's let's go into second base. I do want to talk about Padres in the outfield. You know, the O's are reportedly in talks with the Padres to swap Abaldo Jimenez for Melvin Upton Jr., a guy we used to call BJ. Why, Scotty, why are the Orioles shopping for outfielders and not pitchers? And if they go ahead and make some sort of move for an outfielder, what does our outfield look like defensively both now and, say, next year? Sure. So we talked about this earlier in the show. Joey Rickard is going to be out till September. There's a good chance that he actually might be out for the rest of the season. And the Orioles need to solidify their depth in the outfield. Julio Boborn was called up to... Um, Who? Yeah. Julio Boborn, a 33-year-old journeyman outfielder, which he has, quotation marks, speed. Who? Was brought up. Yeah. Um, the Orioles need to get an outfielder um, to assist Hunsu Kim out in the outfield and also potentially be a plus upgrade at defense. Um, We always talk about, oh, the Orioles are a really good defensive team. And I think that if we look at the infield, I think that is the case. But the outfield has been very weak this year. And that's both in the corner outfields, but also Adam Jones hasn't been great this year either too because of the injuries. Finding an outfielder that is a plus defender would be a benefit. And finding someone to replace Joey Rickard offensively. Yes, I can't believe I'm saying that. I wouldn't have said that in March. But finding someone to replace Joey Rickard offensively is an important aspect for um, the rest of the season. So the few numbers that I wanted to pull up for um, why you would want to go after a Melvin Upton Jr. Joey Rickard against left-handed pitching is batting 130 weighted runs created plus with an 861 OPS. Melvin Upton Jr., or as you like to call him, BJ, has a 145 weighted runs created plus against left-handed pitching and a 913 OPS. So... In terms of going against left-handed pitching, Melvin Upton Jr. could solidify that platoon spot that Joey Rickard was filling. Two questions. Sure. Um, Melvin Upton Jr. is currently playing center field? He's playing more left field than he is center field. Okay, that's a good start. Yeah. Second question. He's a starter, is he not? He is a starter for the Padres who really have nobody else. And you are saying that a move to Baltimore would put him into a platoon with Kim? Even if he's the heavy end of the platoon? I don't know if he would be the heavy end of the platoon. Um, Is that going to be a problem? He does have um, some emotional baggage. Um, it's the best way. He's kind of a loose loose nut. <laughs> I love that you were trying to be polite about it. Yeah. And what you came up with was, has some emotional baggage. That was very delicate, Scotty. So, so I, I know there are concerns about this. I'm saying, how well would he fit into the mentality of this team? He knows Adam Jones. He knows Wayne Kirby. Both of them, it's indicated that they are very, not fond of him, but they feel like he would be a good fit. I feel like you have to trust Adam Jones and Buck Showalter on this to say that they can make this work. And for Melvin Upton Jr., it's not like he's entering into a free agency season at the end of the season. He's under contract this season, and he's under contract next season. 
So even if he's riding a platoon spot, is it that big of a deal? Next season's the bigger issue for him and making sure he's getting enough playing time to get that one last contract. Yeah. And, you know, another consideration is he's moving from San Diego. Well, he, he may be moving from San Diego to a place like Baltimore where he'll be on a contending team. He might get to the playoffs. Maybe the bite of losing playing time is somewhat assuaged by being on a winning team. And, and I would assume that if we brought in a guy of the caliber of Melvin Upton Jr., he would basically start next season under contract as, hey, right field is his job to lose since Mark Trumbo is going to be off making millions elsewhere. I think we also have to think about it in this fashion. I understand what you're saying is it's a platoon and, you know, is it really that big of a deal? But if it gets rid of Obaldo Jimenez, that's a huge deal for this team. Um, it allows the team to bring in additional bullpen help and not have that, you know, arm sitting in your bullpen saying, Ugh, I really don't want to talk to I really don't want to bring him in if I don't have to. It's certainly you're gonna to need to do so. We've already talked about earlier in the season. The starters did not get deep into the season or deep into games earlier part of the season. With having only, you know, a one man down in the bullpen, I understand there's gonna be some blowout games here and there, but you need to have every arm possible. And opening up a spot for, dare I say, a Tyler Wilson or a Mike Wright is necessary for this team going forward. Maybe not so much in the playoffs, but definitely for that tough stretch in August. Like you, we talked about for the offense, it really felt like everything caught up to the team in August, and they just didn't seem to have the depth that they had in previous seasons, mainly because they DFA'd a bunch of players. <laughs> but I, I think getting that additional depth in the bullpen um, is an easy way to do so. And I think by going out and getting rid of a bottom end is, you can both upgrade the bullpen and you can upgrade your outfield, which I think you have to do. And Melvin Upton Jr. makes more than Abaldo Jimenez does, but it's not a sunk cost. It, it's not a sunk cost, and that's the whole thing. It is, it's not a sunk cost, and we talked about it before. You're going to have them available for next year, and there's a good chance that you're going to need to have outfield depth. If your only outfield depth right now is Julio Baborn and, yeah, and Daryl Alvarez, it's an indication to me at least. You really have no outfield depth, so you might as well go out and get an outfielder. All right, so we're talking about swapping uh, Melvin Upton Jr. for Abaldo Jimenez, but there's also talk of the Orioles needing to throw in a prospect to make this happen. First of all, um, I'm a little confused as to who we might be talking about there. I've heard the name Tanner Scott, but is that something that fans are are guessing, or is there actually that name in the pile? Tanner Scott has been reported by credible sources, is the best way to describe it. Top Top men. men. And I know fans are upset about it because you've got a left-handed relief pitcher that is pitching at 100 miles per hour. And you just say, oh, the Orioles really need a left-handed pitcher. And wow, 100 miles per hour, that's great. But his walk rate is absolutely atrocious. I mean, he is a project galore. And it's, oh, yeah, I wish we could like shape him. But in reality, do you really think the Orioles are going to be able to shape a pitcher that has command issues. I mean, look at Baltimore Menace. They have not been able to figure out how to fix those mechanics and fix those command issues. So Tanner Scott is at best, um, I'd say maybe an eighth to 10th prospect in this organization. And at best in the future, he's a reliever. He's not a starter. And I'm not saying relievers are a dime a dozen, but I think you could easily go out and get a college pitcher um, that could easily be your left-handed pitcher of the future um, out of the bullpen. All right, I do want to talk a little bit about the shambles that are left of the Orioles' uh, farm system, but let's do that in third base. 
Okay. So at third base, um, the future was now this weekend is the best way I can describe it. The Orioles started Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman in back-to-back games. And as much as we here at Bird's Eye View bellyached about Dylan Bundy coming in and starting, it is kind of interesting to see Dylan Bundy pitch in the, as a starting thing. It scares the heck out of me, and I still don't think it's a good idea. But it's it, it but it hasn't bitten us yet. It hasn't bitten us yet, but it, it was one of the one of the things where during that game you're constantly checking saying, What's his pitch count? How's he doing? How did he approach this batter? And it's kind of you think you know how he's gonna go about it, but it was really it's really interesting to see how he goes and does it. But here's my issue with it. State of the Orioles addressed on Saturday, Dan Duquette was was talking about the farm system and he was quoted on Saturday as basically saying the farm system is strong based on how many starters the Orioles now have on their roster in the fact of like a Dylan Bundy or Kevin Gossman or Manny Machado or Jonathan Scope or Matt Wieters. And this is an indication that the farm system can really nurture talent and bring it up. And that's what they're doing right now with the talent that's down in, in, in the minors. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Let me try. Yes. Here. So Dan Duquette, you're telling me that on Saturday out loud in front of people, Yes. Dan Duquette crowed about his farm system by giving examples of players who are not in the farm system. Yes, that is correct. He knows that people can hear him when he talks, right? Yes. And then occasionally they write it down? Yes, but what can happen is instead of the fan continually talking the mic, the Oriole Public Relations can immediately remove that microphone away from the fan so the fan does not ask a follow-up question saying, are you drunk? <laughs> uh, all right. So you're not buying it. I, I hear his point. All right. I'm, look, I'm not going to do a Jim Hunter here, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to offer the best I can to support a statement like that. Let, let me just say... Did you have ZD tonight? I may have had some big ZD. Let me just say that, that Dan Duquette's point sounds like what he's trying to say might kind of sort of be is that the Orioles are adept at this point in bringing up talent from the minor leagues to contribute at the major league level. And look, Manny Machado was a, a clear win, right? You could look at that kid in the minors and know he's going to be special. But who's, whose radar was Jonathan Scope on? Right. That was that was a an, I'll I'll say I I thought he was a nobody right and now he is a real player sure so first and foremost to Dan Duquette's Duquette's small tiny point there may be diamonds in the rough in the minors that they now can claim that they can bring up because they know how to do that that may surprise us okay that's fine um and and they have drafted legit stars like Manny Machado like I'll say it like Matt Wieters. And have brought them up in such a fashion that they are not a complete uh, S show. And that's about as far as I can go to depend, defend that position. Because after that, you need to start talking about facts. And that's where Dan starts to ride off the rails. Sure. Unless you want to go to the diamond in the rough conversation. Cupboard's bare, dude. Who else are you going to bring up? Right. And it comes back to, we were talking about the outfielders. There's no outfield death whatsoever. Um, there's really no shortstop death. I mean... Our shortstop death this year was bring Paul Yanish up. I mean, Paul Yanish is a 30-year-old utility infielder. So there's no infielder that can come up um, to serve as, you know, a, a transition piece. There's no outfield depth. I mean, the only depth that you have in terms of position players are first base and catcher. And those are the only two positions. And here's the thing. Some some clubs use their AAA affiliate to to groom their stars. Yeah. And some people use their AAA affiliate to hold 
you know, organizational uh, guys. And and their real prospects are in triple or in double A, and they come up from double A to the major. Okay, okay, fine, sure, whatever. So you look at our triple A team, and you say it's a bunch of scrubs, like you know Julio Bourbon, and there's yeah. just a guy that you know he's, he's an org soldier. He comes up and down, fine, okay. But then you look at double A. Yeah, Henry Urudio was recently on the forty man roster. Yeah, I love that dude. Look, if you if you look in his eyes when he when he talks about playing baseball, you know he loves it. Yeah. But he's not good enough to play at the major league level. Yeah, he's a he's a quadruple A player at best. And the Orioles need to have better than that in their depth, right? And yeah, it's again, it, it's all about depth in, in terms of farm system. And the Orioles have no depth. And when you look at some of these trades that are being done, you know, teams are trading away prospects, and then they're like, "Well, we can trade away this prospect because we got these two other guys behind it." Uh, the Orioles do not have that whatsoever. They have no depth besides, again, at catcher and first base. And even that, from the first base standpoint, is questionable with Mancini and Walker. Um, definitely a little bit stronger on the on the catcher side. But past Cisco, you know, like a Jonah Haim, no one really knows what he's going to do. Um, and, you know, it really isn't much there. I mean, like you said, the cupboards are dry. All right. I'm, I'm done talking the farm system. We beat it to death. And we're sad. And, and we're sad. And uh, home plate. So I want to talk about uniforms since it seems to be the hot topic right now yes. in baseball. But I don't want to talk about that uniform issue. I want to talk about Adam Jones today wore some pretty spectacular footwear. He also wore some pretty nice stirrups, too. Um, the hosiery was, as they say, on point. Right. But I want to talk about these white cleats that uh, Adam Jones is wearing. Did you see um, that a bunch of uh, players in Major League Baseball wore some white cleats given to them by Nike um, with the Griffey emblem directly on them as well? Missed it. Now, to be fair, it's because it was so hot out there that I was blinded, uh, bleary-eyed, and uh, barely didn't know my own name. But no, so they were wearing basically Griffey cleats? Griffey cleats, basically. Um, but I, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know about you, but uh, I think Ken Griffey was the wow player to me when I was growing up. Of when He wasn't never played for my team, but every single time the Mariners would come to Camden Yards, I'd be like, that's the game I want to go to. I mean, the kid was the kid. The kid was the kid. And, and he made baseball fun. And if you grew up, you know, again, you and I are in our early 30s. If you grew up at the same time that we grew up, he was a player heavily marketed by baseball and for good reason. Yeah. He could do it all. And he, he you know, he was the Mike Trout of, of that era and then some. And, you know, both the personality, you know, the backward hat and just the joy of the game. Yeah. And then he had the thing. The smile on Ken Griffey Jr. was hall of fame smile yeah and you know, just the enjoyment he took out of the game but you look at it and it was defense it was running the bases it was hitting the home runs it was do- he could do it all effortlessly he was a lot of fun to watch i remember spending countless hours in the batting cage up at churchville golf basically just trying to mimic his swing because it was such a beautiful swing so yeah, we we normally don't go off topic too much off the Orioles, but Ken Griffey Jr. deserves a little bit of accolade in terms of being a, a, a once in a generation player. Um, and unfortunately, you know the injuries cut him down a little bit. He probably would have been maybe the top three best of all time, but unfortunately, the injuries knocked him back a little bit. But Ken Griffey Jr. I certainly think was the it player for our generation. Um, 
right there with like a cow ripkin in my opinion so and it's cool that you know adam jones took the time yeah. to tip the cap so to speak i mean yeah. that that shouldn't surprise you it shouldn't, when, you, when you hear yeah. that adam jones did it but that's that's pretty good i'm i'm impressed yeah that's a that's a good on adam jones i mean he it makes sense why he would do it from all, all kinds of reasons but i i do like to see adam jones representing someone that probably he grew up with watching as well all right so we haven't talked about the really big story. We talked a little bit during the medical wing, but I think we need to talk about this flu bug that was going around all through baseball and especially with the Orioles this week. All right, so the Orioles were ravaged with a stomach flu that, um, well, basically put several members of the team um, out of commission, not even be able to be in the dugout. I think Chris Davis even had to go get like an IV at the hospital. So Chris Davis was out, Manny Machado was out, Buck Showalter was out. Um, it was like a pandemic. It was you know kind of like outbreakish. So um, what's interesting is it, it was seen impacting several players throughout major league baseball so this wasn't just a an orioles event but there's a lot of theories going around about what exactly was happening and what happened with each of these players in order to basically come up with a sickness so one of the things which people believe is most people think that there was a patient zero uh in san diego during the all-star break and it basically spread from there here's what i'm thinking okay i'm thinking a, a contending team that's just on the bubble mm-hmm. all right sent their lone all-star to to the game with the patient zero payload gotcha and then figured everybody else will get ravaged and we will just sail to the pennant gotcha um and we talked about it earlier there was some speculation that maybe mark trumbo got it and brought it back with him from san diego which of course is going to bring up the conversation of should home run hitters be swabbed before and afterhand for bacteria samples so we can make the determination whether the home run derby can increase the likelihood of the stomach flu being spread I think it's a good question. I think it's yeah. a good question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, here at Bird's Eye View, we're always about delving in to these investigations and getting to the truth of the matter. So Bird's Eye View has found the reason for the stomach flu outbreak. This is an expose. It's what yeah. this is. Yeah. On the Baltimore Orioles. Let's go to the tape. It's a beautiful day here in New York. Temperatures in the upper 80s. Right now, 85 in the Bronx, 87 at LaGuardia, 86 at JFK. Richie. What's the matter? Davis, look at him. Davis? He doesn't have a fever, but his stomach hurts and he's seeing strikes. What's the matter, Davis? Richie, where's your mustache? Feel his hands. They're cold and clammy, kind of like Delman's. I'm fine. I'll get up. No. I have a game today. I have to swing for that short porch. No. I must play to justify that contract so I can go and have a productive Hall of Fame career. Crush, you're not going to play like this. What's his problem? He doesn't feel well. (sighs) Tell him to run it out. Flaherty? Is that you? I can't see that far. Flaherty? Flash? Bite a big one, Crush. Flaherty, get back to the bench. 
I could be hitting home runs galore and you'd still keep me in there. This is so unfair. Flaherty, don't be upset with me. You have your health and your collection of gloves to wait to be put in somewhere. You should be thankful. That's it. I want out of this organization. I'm okay. I'll just swing it out. I'll take my medication and be focused and and ready to go. I'm going to go post the lineup and talk to the media. I'll check on you later, Crush. I'm lucky to have such a competent organization when it comes to player health. You're both very special people. You get better, Crush. If you need anything, call. They bought it. Incredible. Terrible performance at the plate yesterday. And they never doubted me for a second. I mean, really. How could I be expected to handle the game on a day like this? Yesterday was my 126th strikeout of the season. It's tough coming up with new illnesses to cover up this lack of production. Another 20 or so, and I'll have to hit the warehouse to make them forget. So I'd better make this game off count. The key to faking out the coaches is clammy hands. It's a good, nonspecific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you to go for a phony fever. But if Buck is looking for some roster flexibility, you can wind up in Norfolk and wearing some really, truly hideous uniforms. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over wailing, you lick your palms. It's childish, and it's stupid. But then, so is this organization. The baseball season is awfully long. If you don't stop and take a few games off, you might break an all-time strikeout record. I do have a game today. That wasn't bullshit. It's against the New York Yankees, but what's the point? I'm not able to chew in New York. And I'm from the South, so I'm not a Yankee, so what's the point? They have more money than they know what to do with. But that doesn't impact me, so who cares about this game? I recall Central Park in fall How you tore your dress What a mess, I confess It's not that I'm advocating skipping games or never playing less than 100%. It's just a person should not believe in just his team. He should believe in himself. I quote John Lennon, I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. A good point there. After all, he was the walrus. Or was it Paul? If I was the walrus, I'd still strike out. Yeah. 
Dude, I watched that Gyrardo game and thought, oh, Scotty's got it in the bag. Nope. Well, like I say, Giovanni Gyrardo, as you said last week, he definitely gets that first pitch strike. And then he nibbles and he nibbles and nibbles. So, yeah, Giovanni Gyrardo had a 69.5 first pitch strike percentage last week. I'm going to start. Vance Worley, who I picked, had a 60%. Uh, it was good for first and second uh, for the team. Surprisingly, we nixed Chris Tillman from being choosed. And he had the worst one of the whole week. It was like 48.5%. So, Jake, you take the lead at 6-5 to five in Fantasy Boss. None of the wild cards hit, so they're still up off of the table. But I get to pick the category this week. So Let's hear it. I'm thinking Chris Davis is getting off the stomach flu. He's you know trying to figure out what his, his swing is again. So, Jake, I ask I'm you. I'm trying to figure out what his swing is, yeah, too. Yeah. I ask you this. In the next week, over and under... On Chris Davis strikeouts at ten and a half. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. The Orioles don't have an off game this week or an off day this week, do that they? That is correct. They do not have an off game. So he's gonna be playing in seven games theoretically. Right, because we're we're recording here on a Sunday and we won't right. be back again until Monday. Correct. So, so yeah. that is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that's seven full games. Seven full games. In seven games, yep. ten and a half strikeouts. Correct. How is this not easy money? I don't know. You tell me. I feel like you're trying to bait me into taking the <laughs> over, and I'm suspicious. I, I, I've got to take the over. All right. You can take the over. That's fine. I mean, that, that's fine. So Chris Davis, at his current streak, would definitely go way over. In fact, if it's a typical 28 to 30 plate appearances, he's going to probably strike out 12 to 13 times if he continues the pace that he's at. But... If he falls back to his season average or drops slightly below his season average, he'll get only seven to eight strikeouts this week. See, when it's this obvious, it hurts me. So you think that he's just he's bound to to bounce back? I think he's bound to bounce back. I think it's. Are you Jim Hunter now? Are you telling me he's due? I I think he's due, and uh, I think that he's going to be running up against some pitching that is very friendly to giving up the long ball. So I don't think he's going to be striking out as much. And not to mention, Chris Davis loves Roger Center. Yeah, but even if he does hit the long ball, he could still go two for four or two for five with two strikeouts. You're right. In could. every game. He could, but I, I I, have faith in Chris Davis to basically rebound from the terrible, terrible stats he's been putting up lately. So you're doing the over at 10 and a half strikeouts. I'm doing the under because I have faith in my players. And we'll figure out who owns it next week. And with that... We'll go ahead and dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week, and I'm going to start with Manny Machado. Manny Machado was really struggling at the plate, and he had uh, he had put it all together into a slump. But he, he bounced back. He bounced back in this last week, and he did it in a time when the Orioles needed it the most, particularly missing a game, being under the weather, and coming back and still contributing. Manny Machado gets my good for this week because, again, when the offense struggles, we see what happens. When he is that cog in the middle, 
It means good thing for the Orioles. All right, so my good for the week is going to go to Caleb Joseph, who I've been given a hard time with in terms of being offensive production. But he started to turn around, um, at least of this week, posting a 400 on-base percentage and a 111 weighted runs created plus. And the offense is nice. But again, I've talked about this before. Caleb Joseph, I'm not asking you for the offense. Like, if you put up eh, offensive numbers, I don't really care. What I care about for Caleb Joseph is defense, and he has done, I think, a great job calling games ever since my waiters have come out. Don't think that the recent success by the starting pitcher is only just by a fluke. I think this is all Caleb Joseph. I think Caleb Joseph should get more games in there. And I've also got to give the tip of the cap. Caleb Joseph is going out there and playing every single game and basically taking it on the chin um, and doing it after day after day in 90-plus degree weather. Man, that's a tough job, but he'd get a major credit from me. So Caleb, he's tough as Kevlar. Yeah, he's tough as Kevlar down there. So Caleb Joseph, tip the cap. He gets my good for the week. The baby is eating. Yeah. All right, my bad for the week is Nolan Reimold. But he was only bad up until today on Sunday. Sunday, of course, he hit the game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth. But up until that point, Nolan Reimold had been playing to the point where the Orioles were searching for outfield help rather than giving him a shot in the rotation. Not the starting rotation. I mean the rotation of the platoon in the outfield. What does it say about a guy when the Orioles won't play him? I mean, he's found himself in a John Harbaugh-esque doghouse, and they're going to go out and get an outfielder instead? Yeah. That's bad. It's bad, but I don't think you're really expecting much from Nolan Reimold. And yes, it was great that he had the walk-off. But Henry Rudy had a walk-off in previous years. David Lowe had a walk-off in previous years. It's a second Rudy reference. I have. Look, if you're going to... It's great that he had a walk-off, but that doesn't mean that he's guaranteed a position going forward. You need to continue to improve the club. Nolan Reimold is probably not that guy for the long term. That's why he's my bad. All right. So my bad for the week is going to go to Chris Davis, who's posting some ridiculous numbers over the past week. But mainly that's because he didn't play at all. Um, but for the games he did play this week, um, never got in base um, in terms of batting average. I think he had one walk. Yep, one walk. And uh, his strikeout rate this week was 37.5. And Jake, the reason I bring up that 37.5 is you take 37.5% and put it into 28, you get 10.5. So if Chris Davis is any better than the flu-stricken individual that he was this week, that under is going to look pretty good for fantasy ball. So Chris Davis, get better and swing a little bit better. And we'll go from there. Go ahead. My ugly for this week is that feeling. Ooh, Scott, you know that feeling. Yeah. I know that feeling. We all know that feeling. My ugly is that feeling that you get when you arrive to a game so early, you thought there was no way you were going to miss out on the giveaway that the Orioles were giving out that day. But I got that feeling. Oh, yes. I got that feeling. In fact, many people got that feeling on Sunday for the Jim Palmer giveaway. Those shirts were gone at least an hour before gates opened. That is the worst. Not an hour before. Well, I guess you can say the line. Yeah. Go ahead. It's the worst feeling ever. You plan your whole day around getting there early just so you can get the giveaway and you get shut out like going to the window in the sting. It's just 
the worst. And that's my ugly for this week. Well, your sentiment was held by several other people. This one tweet was, uh, I got hosed out of my Jim Palmer t-shirt today, but I'm glad I still treasure, uh, but I'm glad I still treasure my Nolan Rimmel bobblehead. Do you know who that was from? No. That was from at Nestor Aparicio. So congratulations for being in that same category. You know, you're a bad, bad man. <laughs> All right. So my ugly for the, for the week is going to have to be the heat. The heat was absolutely atrocious this week. And you know who else complained about the heat? Hitler. <laughs> That's fine. I do have a German heritage. so. <laughs> but the heat was absolutely atrocious. But it didn't keep fans away. Um, but the heat was pretty bad today and i've got a, a, a fun fun story that was definitely this ugly is not it? a fun story that's a fun story if you're a dad so um me and jake took the kids to the ballpark today just the boys uh, just the boys yeah just have a boys outing so that jake could get his jersey and of course he's stomping around all upset because he didn't get his jersey like nestor apparitio i was fine so we get to episode seats and the boys are just kind of chilling having a good day and it's just bearing down hot and uh well, we, we we had to get going a little early because, you know, kids and heat, and that doesn't really work out so well. So we're walking down to the concourse, and we're just kind of getting ready to go. And then, um, well, the puke starts coming from the sun. So uh, puke went everywhere, hit a lady, and the lady kind of turned around and just gave me some grief about, well, puke being put on her and said, you need to take care of your son better. And uh, what can I say? I'm just a bad dad. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's the ugly for the situation. And... Uh, Let's let's hope it cools down just just a tad, just a tad. I, I gotta I I gotta give the other half of this story though. The other sure. half of the story. So Scott and his and his kid go off to the bathroom. Oh yes, yes, yes. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Scott and his kid go off to the bathroom, and nothing is amiss. Scott is carrying his kid. Jake's getting his tickets exchanged. I'm, I'm exchanging tickets at the window. Doing business as usual. Henry and I... Complaining ra- about the jersey to the guy behind the window. I was doing no such thing. <laughs> Henry and I wrap up our business. I walk over. To, to find Scott, and I find him and his kid shirtless. And I thought to myself, oh, it's a hot day. All right, uh, the boys decided to shed the shirts. And then I heard the rest of the story. Yeah, so if, yeah, if you if you get all that stuff on your shirts, you just look and say, how much is this shirt really worth to me? And uh, let's just say me and the janitor had a eye-to-eye moment. He's just like, do it. And uh, I did it. I just dropped those shirts in the trash can and said, it, it's not worth the hassle. Now, if it had been a Palmer giveaway jersey, you would no. have taken that sucker home. I should have got one. They should have been like, look, you don't even have a shirt, sir. We're going to give you a Palmer jersey. <laughs> so what you're telling me is that you love the Orioles so much, you gave them the shirt off your back. I gave a shirt to a trash can that maybe that janitor said, I'm going to try to keep it, but I highly doubt it. So, uh, yeah, we we walked away on Sunday without a jersey and down two shirts in the Magnus household. <laughs> It was an exciting ride back to Hartford County. What can it, I tell it, you? It was. All right, Jake, why don't you go ahead and blow the save while I play some music for you. All right, Scotty, at the top of the show, you alluded to us baking in the sun this weekend. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just Sunday. Oh, no. Scott and I, Scott has spent a lot of quality time uh, this weekend in, in various states of, of heat uh, distress. On Saturday, we uh, had a, a bachelor party for a friend. It was out on a fishing charter on the bay. It was a great day. We had a, just a fantastic time, eight hours or so of uh, you know charity work and Bible study, drinking beers, catching fish, that kind of stuff. But 
Something I want to talk about on the show happened afterward. We went and we grabbed dinner at a place in... It was in, in Dundalk proper, correct? It was in Dundalk proper. This was the Costas Inn. Yeah, which is uh, Dundalk proper. Which is Dundalk proper. It was, it was good food. I, I was impressed with mine. Anyway, here's what I was even more impressed with. We got there and the Oriole game was on. And the entire place was into the game. I love the fact that the Orioles are a team right now where you go to some sort of establishment with TVs and instead of having to, you know, ask for the game or instead of you being the one or two people with your eyes glued to the game, this is a place where every eye was on the ball game. And it was one that didn't matter. Let's face it. A game in July, no real high stakes, and people were cheering aloud over their dinners with their family and friends. It was a really cool it was a really cool experience to just go somewhere and be in a group of people that were so psyched about uh, about baseball. I I love being an Oriole fan right now. And if you don't get that vibe, go out and, and get it. Because these are the good years, guys. This is it. I'd highly recommend, too, going to places like Casas Inn and folks that are just like that Dundalk-ish area. Just going into almost like a dive bar-ish kind of place and just experiencing that because that's where you really find the true diehard fans and they might not make any sense at all from a, from a statistical standpoint, but those are the same people that are just like, I'd give my left kidney for Joey Rickard if he could come back. And it's just salt of the earth kind of people. So highly recommend Costas in great crab cakes and great crabs. So a uh, little plug from uh, me going there my entire life. All right. I think that's going to cover most of it for, for this episode on a, on a Sunday, we got a, a food recommendation. We got recommendation. a uh, Magnus Barf story. Magnus Barf story, and yeah. uh, we uncovered the the mystery of the illness this week. Uh, Scotty, this was a successful show. We did pretty well this week, actually, all things considering. Pretty good. So, if the Orioles can continue to win against good teams, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would take that. All right. Well, with that, Baltimore and beyond, I got nothing else for you. So, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Be safe out there, Baltimore, and let's go O's. Can't believe you caught a fish. That was pretty impressive. I know, it's crazy. And I did not scream like a girl when I did it. Nor did I fall off the boat. That was important. Not the second time you did it. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.